0: Well, listen. Uh, we're we're really excited about the ABC Connect Sunday, and and just to kind of give you an idea of of, of what to expect, kind of going into the future, we want to have every quarter an ABC Connect Sunday with a meal, and uh, there, you know, we're not trying to overcomplicate it. We're not trying to get uh, difficult with it. We really just want you to feel connected and be connected to each other, and give you opportunities to meet people that you have not met, and then maybe learn something. About the ministry of ABC, that maybe you didn't know, and and so uh, today we we get to have one of our uh, our our friends and uh, one who has pastored my heart and who has been a great friend of mine, Tim Brister, uh, here with us today, and he's just going he's jumping in our Kingdom of Christ series. Uh, but also has been spending time with he spent time with some of our staff yesterday and and spoke to some of our men yesterday morning and, and so just been a good weekend but But Tim leads an organization he actually does a lot of things but but he leads an organization connected to us called the Haiti collective and back in two thousand and twelve, the Haiti collective was started, and that 's when we uh, as a church were connected first at open door and then uh, k j got me quickly connected to uh, to Tim. And uh, we were able to partner in Haiti, and so one thing that Alberta Baptist cares about deeply is is partnerships. We believe strongly in it and if you if you look at our budget, if you're a member and you hadn't looked at our budget, uh, you need to check it out okay but on in the budget we we partner uh, with organizations for the for the uh, for gospel purposes and the Haiti Collective is one of those and Haiti Collective exists to equip churches through church partnerships like ours. Uh, to care for orphans, to make disciples, train leaders, and plant churches. Uh, Haiti Collective, obviously, in Haiti. And then right now, this year, they're working on a South Asia Collective. And so we want to be, over time, we want to be as connected to this partnership as possible and be as much of an encouragement to Tim and to these works of the gospel as we can be. And so I'm glad to have him here this morning. Uh, As he comes up, I also want to say there's a lot of reasons why you should care and, and be thankful for Tim, but a major reason why you should be thankful is because of his care for, uh, our friendship and for the way he has been a friend to me, uh, this past year. And so I appreciate it and and think that, uh, I, I think, I think my ability to shepherd you has, is brighter because of the relationship that I have with this guy. And so, Tim, thank you for being a good friend, and thank you for all that you do. Let me pray for you. Lead us in God's Word. Father, thank you so much for my friend Tim. God, I pray that you would empower him as he proclaims your Word to us today. Lord, help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear your Word. God, I I believe that your Spirit is... At work in this place, in us and around us, and drawing us to Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that through the teaching of Your Word today, that You would draw all of us to Him. Lord, help us to uh, to understand the love that You have for us. Help us to understand the beauty of Your grace and the great calling that You have for Your people to impact the whole world. And so, Lord, we love You. We thank You for Your Word pray that you would be with Tim as he proclaims the gospel this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Alberta Baptist
1: Church. It is a privilege to be with you again. and It's a joy to see your faces. Um, I want to bring your greetings on behalf of Pastor Joseph and all of our uh, churches that are a part of the Haiti Collective, our Haiti Collective family. It, it is a joy to see the gospel transformation that's happening in Haiti. And to see your role in that is is vital and, and it's been ongoing. And we believe the way in which we're going to impact a country like Haiti will not be through one mission trip or one initiative. It's going to be through an ongoing partnership where we empower the indigenous churches on the ground to train leaders who are biblically qualified, passionate about the word of God and committed to taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to their community. And that's what we want to do here as well. And so thank you for your partnership with us and your continued prayers. As we know from last week, Pastor Colby launched uh, the the series on the kingdom of Christ, and he showed us from Scripture what the kingdom of God is and how it is an upside-down, seemingly unexpected, and certainly surprising nature. And so this morning, I want to continue in this series with the focus on pursuing the kingdom of God in our everyday lives. And so If you have your copy of God's word, I want you to turn again to Matthew chapter six. I know we just read it a few minutes ago. Pastor Keith, thank you for doing that. But with verse 25 and continuing down to the end of the chapter uh, of Matthew chapter six, we are picking up in 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 a passage where Jesus is preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And in these verses, there are two commands. One is a positive command. One is a negative command. And I want us to see what those commands are from this passage. So if you don't mind, let me read this again for us. It says, "'Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they?' Can any of you add one moment to his life by worrying?' So why do you worry about your clothes? Observe the wildflowers of the field. They neither labor nor spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor splendor was adorned like one of these. So if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and then thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what we will drink or what we will wear? For the Gentiles seek Eagerly after these things, yet your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself and each day has enough trouble of its own. if I could sum up today's message in one simple statement, it would be this. The kingdom of God should be the passionate pursuit of every disciple Of Jesus Christ. My hope is as we dive into this command given to us by Jesus to seek first his kingdom, I trust that the Holy Spirit will be working in our hearts and our minds to know what does that mean for you and what does that mean for me and how do we apply this truth to our lives. Now think with me for a second. How often do you go around looking for something? It seems like on a daily basis, in my home at least, we're looking or in a pursuit to find something that we have lost. Come on, men. We know that we're looking for our wife's cell phone, our wife's car keys, our wife's Carmex, our wife's purse. Well, I mean, I can only speak for myself here, but it seems to be an ongoing thing for us uh, in our home. On Friday, even this past week, when I was getting ready to leave in the morning, I'm with my son and my wife and we're looking for my son's top secret playbook for his backyard football games because you see the weather was getting nice in Spring Hill, Tennessee, where we live and he was gonna go out and play and we looked upstairs, downstairs, in the closets, in the backseat of the car, bathrooms, trying to find this top secret playbook and the reason why we did it, when I'm trying to leave and come to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, is because that playbook was so important to my nine-year-old boy. We had to find it, and we did. Thank goodness. But I think it's fair enough to say that we will devote as much time and energy in pursuit of something based on how much value we place on it. If you are looking for a penny that you've lost, I doubt that you would spend much energy looking for a penny. But if you had a $100 bill, I would imagine you would spend a little bit more time trying to find the $100 bill that you may have lost. We make a decision on whether we seek something based on how important it is to our lives and the lives of other people around us. Let me tell you about this story that recently rocked our own community. On December 14th, just a couple, well, last month, a 15-year-old boy in our community went missing. This young, young man was in a facility, not in our town, about an hour north of us, where they, they helped teenagers who were struggling with mental illness. And when his parents found out that he was missing, they immediately went into full search mode in hopes of finding their son. They had no idea that the challenges that they were about to face, that, that, that they were about to face. And so in the immediate hours and days that followed him missing, they requested the, 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 the assistance of the local police with detectives and looking to find out what was going on in the facility with security surveillance. The facility personnel were supposed to check on their patients every 15 minutes in the evening, and yet that night they did not check on this young man for seven hours. Although they, he, they claimed that he climbed out of the second floor with a the sheet, there is no evidence to prove that this is what happened because the staff deleted all of the video surveillance of the footage that night. To make matters worse, the local detective lied to his parents claiming that he had been in touch with the staff about the security footage. With every critical day passing and with no leads, as you can imagine, moms and dads, the, the search became more desperate. The detective was removed from the case and replaced with another one, and eventually their son was placed on the endangered list with the Tennessee Bureau, Bureau of Investigation. However, by this time, over three weeks had passed, and they were not, there was not a single lead as to what, what had happened to their now 16-year-old son who just had his birthday. To make matters worse, Uh, I'm sorry, in the meantime, the mother had been online providing leads or providing updates for people on Facebook that a page that had been growing by the thousands on a daily basis. And 10 days ago, today, 10 days ago, the mother got her first credible lead about where her son might be. And that came from a place called Roebuck, Alabama. Roebuck, Alabama. So she, along with her her, her brothers and sisters, uncles uncles and aunts, family members, immediately set up shop in Roebuck community, started canvassing the area, passing out flyers, talking with locals, and requesting whatever help this community could give them. An employee at the local Waffle House 10 days ago spotted their son at five o'clock in the morning. They called 911, and 37 days later, their son was found in Roebuck. Now, those of us in our town who were paying attention to the crisis and praying for the safe return of their son, noticed two things that was going on in this search. On the one hand, there were police and detectives whose training and expertise and resources were intended to address a crisis like this. However, for the most part, what we can tell, hardly a finger was lifted to solve the problem, but actually exacerbated the problems with what appeared to be lies and a disregard for their son's plight. Now, on the other hand, we saw a relentless passion of a mother who refused to quit and to give up on her son until he was found. Her son, had, her son being missed had become the priority of her life and everyone could see the de- determination in the pursuit of her son. Because you see, she valued her son's life to the degree that she sought him with everything she had she was on a mission and that mission had dominated her life over the past week when i reflected upon this mother's love and commitment to find her son i could not help but think about our heavenly father's relentless pursuit and determination to rescue us who are lost rescue us who are have been hellbound sinners who could not be brought home on our own think with me for a second In the beginning, the Bible says, God created the heavens and the earth. So as creator, God has rights over everything he has made. So as the sovereign Lord and creator over everything, the Bible says everything that he made was for him and for his glory. The creation was created to put the creator on display. But when Adam and Eve who were made in his image for the purpose of representing his reign and rule and to live under his authority were tempted to rebel against that authority, to question the goodness of God's reign. They believe the lie that it is better to be your own ruler and under your own authority than to submit to the reign and rule of God. And so because of this, sin, man has rejected God as king, and we have set ourselves up as the king of our own lives. Ever since the fall, we enter into this world as sinners by nature, and we become sinners by choice. And what our nature craves the most is for us to be in charge, to rule our own lives, because we have become convinced that no one knows how to rule our lives better than ourselves. So in our own self-deception, we have become convinced that independence from God is a better way to live than living dependent upon God in humble submission to his reign and his rule. Now, while this might sound like an overgeneralized statement, you could really sum up the Old Testament with the last verse in the book of Judges, which says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And the same is true today. Dear friend, because of our sinful rebellion, our entire lives are lived running from God and from anyone else attempting to control our lives. By nature, we buck up against authority and anything against our own will. We don't want to be told what to do or how to live because we know in our minds, at least we think, what is best for ourselves. So in this self-deception, we march down a path of self-destruction. The promises of sin ultimately don't bring the fulfillment that we long for. The idols that we have worshiped don't bring us happiness. We are left broken down, miserable, and defeated. And most of our lives, we attempt to function in a way with others to pretend, you know what? Life is all right. We got it together. But deep down in our hearts, if we were truly known, our hearts would bear witness to this reality. But here's the amazing thing. While we can fake it, with others around us, we cannot fake it with God. God knows us through and through. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our sin that has provoked his wrath. He knows our idols that are vain and worthless. He knows our pain and the pursuit of happiness that comes from apart from him. And this knowledge that God has about us ought to cause him to stay away from us, to run from us and have nothing to do with us and he would be right in doing so. It is not his fault. He did not run from us. We ran from him. He did not change or break his word. We sinned and broke his law. But oh friend, God did not run from you. God did not run from us. God determined to run toward us. This is what the good news of the gospel is all about. The God who knows us is the God who has loved us while we were still sinners. God pursued us when we had no interest in him and God made a way for us to be reconciled with him when he gave us his son. You know, I think that's one of the reasons why we think that we cannot come to God because we think, God, if you really know me, if I was really known by others and people knew my dark secrets, people knew my scars and my failures and how I've sinned against others and others have sinned against me. And if I was really, really known, then no one at Alberta Baptist, no one in my community group, no one in my Sunday school class would really want to have anything to do with me. But dear friend, you are known by God and you are loved by God. And as a church, we have an opportunity to show forth this unconditional love towards one another. God gave us Jesus to show us his unconditional love to those who rebelled against him most. And by his grace God has taken us who are rebels and made us his sons. He has shown us the way of the kingdom not by an offering that we can bring to him but through the offering of his own son that is by the means by which we are accepted. We don't come trying to bring our goodness. We come bringing our brokenness and acknowledging Before God, we have nothing else to bring but our own sin. This is what we talked about in Matthew chapter five last week. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, blessed are those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy, who have nothing in their bank account spiritually to offer God and say, God, I have nothing to offer you but a broken down sinner and saying, God, be merciful to me. God, be merciful, merciful to me. I am a sinner. And those are the ones who will enter in the kingdom of God. He doesn't say blessed are those who are middle class in spirit. Blessed are those who are upper class in spirit, like the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders who thought they had it all together. He says those who recognize before a holy and righteous God that they don't stand up under the bar of his judgment. And that's why he sent his son Jesus to come to us the way to God is not by trying to go up, go up to God on our own, but by treasuring the gift that God has given us when he came down to us in his son. But notice this invitation of the kingdom, what it looks like. When God pursues us, yes, he's determined to save us, but there is a gospel invitation and, and demand that comes with believing in Christ. And it's the command to Repent. Now, have you ever noticed a relationship between repentance and the kingdom of God? When John the Baptist began his earthly ministry in Matthew chapter three, verse two, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when Jesus began his earthly ministry in Matthew chapter four, verse 17, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus calls his disciples to go and be commissioned out, to go where he's called them to go, to say what he's called them to say, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So there's one simple, clear, overarching message that God wants us to know. And that is to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now to repent is to change your mind in such a way that it leads to a change in your life. So if I could summarize what this invitation would look like, here's what I believe what God's saying to us today. From the time that you were born, you have rebelled against me. You have chosen to live your life independent of me. You have chosen to put yourself on the throne of your life. You have rejected my authority and my rights as creator and Lord of heaven and earth. But now the king is here and the kingdom has come. And because of that, Everything must change and everything will change. I have sent my son to be your savior and king and the way you enter into the kingdom is to receive him by faith as you turn from trusting in yourself to trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. So when you repent, you are confessing that the only one who has the right to reign, in, reign and rule in your life is Jesus. When you repent, you gladly submit to his authority in your life and you reject any rival to his throne who attempts to take his place. When you repent, you gladly accept the terms of who Jesus is and what he has done for you to be the sole determination where you find your identity in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection on your behalf. All oh, brothers and sisters, this is the invitation of Christianity. And it's the invitation to be changed and transformed by the power of the gospel. You see, we do not enter into a transactional Christianity where we use Christianity like a spiritual storefront to consume the things we want and then we go home. We enter into a transformational Christianity where Jesus transforms us from the inside out And as we follow him on a daily basis and he meets our needs, we recognize the single thing we need more than anything else is to come under the sovereign reign and rule of King Jesus when we're utterly surrendered to him. So when we want to seek first the kingdom of God, the first thing I want you to see is that God has sought us out to make us his own. But once we see how God has made us his own, we have to understand the reason why he has chosen to make us his own. Now, have you thought about this? If God's purpose for saving us was merely to give us eternal life, the moment you were saved, why did you not immediately go to heaven? The moment you were born again, the moment you you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, why did you not immediately just go into the presence of God in heaven and worship him for all eternity? Why are you and I here left on earth after God has already made us his own? Well, the answer is simple. We are here to represent God and his reign and rule on earth. We are to show the world around us that is under the power of the evil one, that there is a good king whose kingdom is life instead of death, who is, that is peace instead of hostility, that is hope instead of despair. Our lives are not about our own individual stories, but about one grand narrative wherein all of our stories make sense. In a world where people are told that they need to self actualize and chart their own path of individuality and autonomy, Christians are those who stand out because we stand together under one story that has made us who we are. And that's the story of God's amazing grace for the worst of sinners. That's the story of redeeming love for the prodigals who have wasted their lives away. That's the story of exceeding mercy for guilty criminals who have been pardoned and fully forgiven. That's the story that has made us who we are. You see, God establishes his kingdom first in the hearts of men When people enter into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, the kingdom begins, is established in our hearts. But that kingdom, as Jesus taught, is like a mustard seed that, though it's very small, begins to grow and bear fruit until that tree then becomes a mighty tree that overtakes the entire garden. So in a real sense, the kingdom is like a mustard seed that God establishes in our hearts that is going to grow and nurture and flourish in such a way that it becomes a tree that overtakes our entire lives where the kingdom of God is made manifest in every nook and cranny of our human existence. Now, there are three places where you and I exist in this world. If you can break down your life from a geographical or sociological uh, perspective, there are three places, and they are where you live, where you work, and where you play. Sociologists would call them your first place, your second place, and third places. Now, where you live is the first place because it's where you spend the majority of your life. It's home base. Now, have you considered that when you seek first the kingdom of God, that God intends the primary place in which you do that is in your home, in your community, in your neighborhood. God intends to use our homes as an outpost for his kingdom so that our neighbors can hear, see, and experience what life is like in the kingdom of God. They get to encounter people who know what it's like to be loved by God and have not gotten over his amazing grace. That's why I talk to my neighbors. When I say, hey, come over to my house. I'm like, well, what are we going to do? I'm going to say, I just want you to know what it's like to be loved by God. When you come to my house, that's what I want you to experience. I'm not trying to get you to buy into something. I want you to know the love of God. And if God can use us as a conduit of that love to you, that's why we exist in your community. That's why God has put us here. Christians are those who offer gracious hospitality into the lives of neighbors, and by virtue of that hospitality, give them the opportunity to receive that welcome home invitation through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, God wants you to occupy your your first place with a passion to seek first the kingdom of God where you live. But where we work or go to school is our second place because outside of our home is the second place where we spend the majority of our lives. It's where we use our gifts and our abilities to serve others, to provide for our families, and to have the opportunity to benefit the community with common good. But work is not merely for the purpose of collecting a a paycheck. It's not only for the place of making money. God wants us to, to have our workplace or our school to be the place where we make an impact in the lives of others. God wants you to occupy your workplace with a kingdom perspective so that you don't simply mark time, but you leave a mark for the cause of Christ in how you work, how you treat others, and how you invest your life with the gifts that God has given you. But where you play is a third place. It's commonly called third places because these are the arenas of society where you interact most often with people in your community. They could be anything from coffee shops to sports teams to hobbies to restaurants that you frequent, you name it. We are commanded to walk with wisdom, Colossians 4, 6 says, walk with wisdom toward outsiders, which means every day going about our lives is not meant to be haphazard, but meant to be meaningful, meant to be intentional. We should be skillful in how we step out into this world with a direction toward outsiders so that those who are outside of Christ can become insiders through our living intentionally for the sake of the kingdom of God. The way we do that is through creating rhythms of intentional living whereby we build relationships that lead to opportunities to lead others to Jesus. I I, I hesitate to say this um, but I, I want to share with you just, just, past, just yesterday, uh, we had an opportunity to, to meet with the men yesterday morning, had a great time, and went to go hang out at Pastor Colby's house and shot basketball in their kids' goals and talked about various sports things. And we went to eat lunch and had some great uh, roasted, or what's those, what's those wings called? Smoked chicken, smoked chicken baby from Moe's. Had some smoked chicken. And then uh, we hung out for a little bit longer and then I decided, I said, man, I'm gonna go and try to get some work done, finalized my manuscript, went over to the Heritage House. Man, there was so many people there. I couldn't find a place to sit. I felt like I was a little kid. I was telling Kobe this morning. I was like a little kid putting the was like one chair in the corner in the back room where I could sit and, and work. And I sat there and got some work done. And I thought, man, I see all these people walking up and down this, this trail, this uh, walk, river walk place. I said, I'm gonna go check this out. So I start walking up and down trails, start talking to people and catching up with my wife and kids and seeing how they're doing. And I was like, man, I, I got a 5K in. I'm gonna go, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm, I'm gonna go eat somewhere. I said, well, yeah, I'm in Tuscaloosa. You gotta go to Dreamland. And so I'm gonna go to Dreamland. So I get in my car and drive over to the Dreamland. And, and I'm like, well, I'm by myself. I'm not gonna sit in the booth. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go sit at the bar. And, and I'm well, I'll go sit at the bar and sat down at the bar. And I don't see, I, I don't see John here today, but I, I, hope, I hope if he's here, John, I'm really glad that you're here. But I met John. And uh, I met John at the bar and we began talking about life. And man, we spent... Last night, two and a half hours together, getting to know one another. I um, mean, the ribs are really slow coming out, you know, but I was like, that's all right. I mean, the conversation was great, and I got to hear John's story. And uh, over that time, I just realized, man, both of us were kind of like at a crossroads in life. And I had an opportunity to encourage him, share the gospel with him, talked about him, encourage him to come and belong to a church community where he, he can be loved on and be cared for. And the Lord just, man, it just stirred my heart to, to, to love this man and to care about him. And it was just a, man, it was just a great time. I went, I went, went back to the Pew's house, just so grateful for the opportunity. I had no idea what I was doing in those moments yesterday. I'm, I'm really just saying, well, I, I want some ribs. But can I tell you that God had a reason for me going to Dreamland last night? God wanted me to care about this man. I had no idea I was going to meet and the Lord just provided that opportunity. And often, sometimes, I don't, I don't follow through on those things. I fail, I forget, I get selfish, and I'm only thinking about, well, where am I gonna go next, I ain't got time for that. But here I am, my, my wife and kids are home, I'm by myself, I'm at a bar, drinking sweet tea, and, <laughs> and enjoying sharing Jesus, bringing good news into a world, into the world of someone's life who needed to hear good news when you inhabit your third places, you seek to make the invisible kingdom of God visible to particular people in particular contexts so that they can see and savor Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice two things here when I talk about these three places. Number one, seeking first the kingdom of God is not something you do in addition to what you're already doing. It's not something you add to your busy schedule. Rather, seeking the kingdom of God is taking things that, are, that you are already doing and changing your perspective so that the first thing that comes to your mind isn't the ribs or the sweet tea, it's, God, why do you have me here? Do I have an opportunity to share Christ, to minister to somebody, to care, to meet a need? You're not changing the places you go. Rather, you are choosing to occupy the places you already inhabit for the purpose of making the invisible kingdom visible in word and in deed as you seek to represent Jesus where you live, work, and play. That's the first thing I want you to see. Secondly, I never mentioned the word evangelism when I talked about seeking first the kingdom of God. Now, certainly, we want to evangelize. But... I know when we think about evangelism, there's a lot of things that can easily surface in our hearts and our minds. Apprehensiveness, reservation. When we think of seeking first the kingdom of God, we can easily conclude that the outgoing, charismatic, type A people are those who have the gift of evangelism. You see, those are the ones who are to preach Jesus on the street corners. They're the ones who are gonna be seeking first the kingdom of God. And because that's not you and because that's not me, we can then conclude that we are not meaningful participants in kingdom work. Rather, oh, this Matthew 6, business, that's for the spiritual elite forces of God's army. That's for them, and you know what? God bless them, but that's not us. But can I challenge us for a minute on this? While we are not all evangelists, dear friends, if you're a disciple of Jesus, we, you and I are all witnesses for Jesus. If I say that I don't have the gift of giving, which the Bible calls a spiritual gift, does that mean that I'm free from obeying the command to give? If I say that I, I, if you say that you don't have the gift of service, which is another gift mentioned in the Bible, does that mean that you have no responsibility to serve others? No, we would not accept that kind of thinking because that is clearly unbiblical. We are commanded to serve. We are commanded to give. But why is it when it comes to being witnesses for Jesus, we say to ourselves, well, I just don't have the gift of evangelism and I will just leave that for others to do. Brothers and sisters, if we allow that kind of thinking, we will simply make a license to disregard the very command that the Holy Spirit has empowered us to do. But even more basic than that, I want to encourage you with this. You have influence over people in your life. You may be influential over a lot of people, maybe be over influential over a few people. but every person in this room has influence over other people. The question is not whether we have influence, the question is whether we will steward that influence towards the kingdom of Christ. If we are faithful with the influence God has given us to represent him and to seek first his kingdom, could it be possible that God may increase that influence so that you can have even greater impact in the lives of more people? Here's what I've learned. It is very easy to underestimate the influence we have and overlook the opportunities that God provides for us on a daily basis. We can so easily fix our eyes on that mountaintop that's miles and miles away and miss the opportunity that lies right before our feet in the next step that we take that could possibly change someone's life. Someone once said that God is not interested in your ability or your inability. He's interested in your availability. So can I ask you this morning, would you make your life available to his kingdom today? Would you make where you live available? Say, God, game on, occupy my home for the kingdom of God. I will make my workplace or my school a place where I wanna occupy my school for the kingdom of God. I will occupy the Heritage House, the Dreamland, or the Moe's, or wherever you go, for the kingdom of Christ. That is why you are here. That's why you and I exist. If King Jesus truly has rights over every area of our lives, is there anything that we would prohibit him from doing if it would serve the cause of his kingdom on earth? God has made us his own so that we would, make, we would make him known. That's the second part of our message this morning. And let me conclude with this. From Matthew chapter six in the heart of our passage, those two commands that I mentioned earlier at the beginning of this talk about the positive command and the negative command. If you have your Bible, look again at Matthew chapter six. Jesus tells us that the opposite energy that's working against us seeking first the kingdom of God is worry. Worry. Now, certainly we can worry about what other people might think about us. Worry about losing a friend. Worry about not doing it right. Worry about not knowing enough. Well, I don't have enough education. I don't don't know how to answer all the questions and objections. Worry about people might not wanna, wanna be our friends anymore. But Jesus says, that his disciples are not to worry about what they will eat or what they will wear. In other words, these basic necessities of our lives are things that we should not focus on like the rest of the world does because you and I have something the rest of the world doesn't have and that's a heavenly father. And the game changers, you have a father in heaven who knows your needs before you ever ask them. And so your life ought to look differently because you've been adopted by the king. Your life ought to look differently. Your pursuits ought to look differently. The things that you value ought to be differently because you have a heavenly father who values you and who has pursued you and made you his own. What do you do when you are worried? Have you ever considered the psychology of worry? When you worry, don't you think about it all the time? When you worry about what other people think about you, don't you think about what other people think about you when you worry? When you are worried, the object of your worry consumes your thought life and controls your emotions and your affections to such a degree that you become utterly preoccupied by it. When you worry, you place a higher value or priority over something than it really truly deserves. And so what God's saying is, don't don't get preoccupied by worrying about the things of this world. That's so naturally we, we, we tend to do. But instead, get preoccupied with my kingdom. That's what he means to seek it first. Seek is means to pursue it and do it first is to pursue it with a priority, with a passion in our lives. And so if I could summarize what I think Jesus is saying to us in Matthew 6, it would be this. Don't get preoccupied by the everyday stuff of life and miss out on the kingdom of God. Don't put a premium on the things of this world, your identity is not determined by stuff or clothes or success or money. Your identity is determined by your relationship with me and the fact that because of me, you have a heavenly father who knows all these things you need and will gladly provide them for you. So then why don't you preoccupy yourself with the kingdom? Why don't you prioritize the things that are eternal over the things that are temporary? Why not be passionate about my kingdom so that it infiltrates every area of your ordinary life? You see, when we worry, we are making much of the world and at the same time are paralyzing ourselves for making much of Jesus. When we choose to worry, we are making much of the world on the one hand at the same time paralyzing ourselves for being able to make much of Jesus. Jesus. And by our actions, Jesus is saying, your life doesn't look any different from those who do not know God. The Gentiles eagerly seek after these things. The Gentiles willingly make these the pursuit of their lives. But that, ought, that shouldn't be the way for you if you're my disciple. You shouldn't live like that. Instead, it's my kingdom that you should pursue first and make the center of your life. Now, here's the deal. The cure for worry and anxiety is not coping mechanisms or methods around self-preservation. That's what the world will tell you to do. The way you stop worrying, you find coping mechanisms and you learn self-preservation. But the gospel says, no, the cure is not self-preservation. The cure is the cross. Romans eight thirty two, He who did not spare his own son for you, but delivered him up on the cross, will he not also with him graciously and freely give you all things. So do you see the logic that Paul is saying in Romans chapter eight? The great promise, I believe, of all scripture. God did not withhold his own son from you. you. What did you need more than anything else in this world? You needed God. You needed reconciliation. You needed forgiveness. You needed atonement. You needed redemption. And every bit of that God gave you in his son. And if God would give you that, who are, you, who are you and I to think that he will not graciously give us all things? The argument is from the greater to the lesser. He's saying, I am not withholding from you, the son of my love, that all of heaven is adoring and worshiping. And I gave him to you to die for you, pursued you, and made you his own. And will he not also with him graciously give you all things? The cure from worry is recognizing you have a heavenly father who gave you his son to make you his son. And he will meet your every need according to his riches and glory. He will add all these things unto you when you seek first the kingdom of God. Now here's the honest truth. We don't normally do ordinary life really well. And I believe a big reason that this is the case is because we have made it easy for us to compartmentalize our faith into one day a week with only a few hours of tuning in. But God wants us to tune in by his spirit every day of the week. We can't do this in our flesh. We need the power of the Spirit to die to ourselves daily. Our flesh wants to be comfortable and to maximize our comforts and put ourselves in control. But the Spirit wants our lives to be controlled by King Jesus and to maximize our usefulness as we seek him first in all things. Have you you ever noticed that it is in those interruptions of ordinary life when, we, when our routine is broken, that we tend to have moments that we remember the most? Have you ever realize that there's, when you're living life in the margins, in the white space, when we're out of the robotic mechanisms of how we function on a daily basis that we seem to come alive, why is it that when we intentionally step out of our predetermined agendas, that we most often step into most life-fulfilling moments that we tend to remember? I think it is because we take our lives off of autopilot and stop simply reacting to life and start living on mission with meaning. It is like we stop letting the world and our circumstances set our agenda for the day and instead get proactive and have King Jesus set the agenda so that we pursue and prioritize his kingdom. Now, I know I'm in Tuscaloosa, Northport, Alberta City. So let me allow... Allow me to do a little contextualization. And I want to bring this home and we'll close. Like many of you, I'm a, I'm a big Alabama fan. We were just talking just this morning and Pastor Kegel was asking me, he said, did you take one of my Coach Saban footballs? He heard something about like that in his basement. I said, like, no, I saw it. My kids want to come see it, so we're going to come back and bring my boys. I've always been an Alabama fan, always will be. And I know one of the things I've noticed over the past decade, what we've seen happen with you know, this football team is really remarkable. I don't think it'll ever be repeated again. I just was paying attention this past week. Look at the, the, you know, those, those, this last football team being drafted, five first-round draft picks from this football team, going to be going in NFL. Now, you know, Quentin Williams is the number two overall, expected to be draft pick. Jonah Williams is expected to be the number eighteen overall, both in the first round. Mac Wilson also and Jacobs, Josh Jacobs. But what's interesting to me when I think about Quentin Williams and Jonah Williams is that these are two players who are on the same team, but they are on opposite sides of the ball. I believe that what made them great players and made them first round draft picks is not so much about what they did on Saturdays as much as it was what they did between Saturdays. Now, follow with me here. They went head to head, offensive lineman, defensive tackle, went head to head, day in and day out in practice. They pushed each other. They challenged each other. They sharpened each other as iron sharpens iron to become the absolute best athlete they could be in their position. And I would argue that if it weren't for this athlete pursuing his very best, pursuing and seeking first his excellence and all that he did for the sake of the team, that this person on the other side will likely not be as good as he is today. But because one person pursuing with a passion And seeking first excellence in what he did for the sake of the team, it provoked him and challenged the other person to pursue with a passion and seeking first excellence in what he did. And now both of them are succeeding in the mission of their next career path. But brothers and sisters, we're not seeking a first-round draft pick. We're not even seeking national championships. We're seeking something so much more than that. We're seeking first the kingdom of God a kingdom that will never come to an end. And it's not just what we do on Sundays that matters. It's what we do between Sundays that matters as well. When you value the kingdom of God so much so that you seek it all the time and you get preoccupied and you're not worried about what you eat and what you drink, you're not worried about what other people think about you, and your brother and sister sees that in your life, they find you in that first place, that second place and third place, will you not also be inspired to do the same? We have an opportunity to to do this together, to be preoccupied with King Jesus and his reign and rule on this earth. It's a worthy goal, brothers and sisters. It's worth giving our lives to that. And I'm not here to tell you exactly how to seek first the kingdom of God in your life, where you look, where you live and where you work and where you play is completely different from the person sitting in front of you and from the person sitting behind you. So this is no cookie-cutter application here. But I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit will take what God has shared, what I've shared through God's word this morning, and that He will bring it to your heart and to your life and show you how to apply it in your life. How is the Spirit leading you to pursue and prioritize the kingdom of God? Will you make it your preoccupation to seek the invisible kingdom of God in Tuscaloosa so that it can become visible as it is in heaven? As we go to the Lord in prayer, it's my desire to encourage you today. Leverage your ordinary life in an extraordinary way, steward the influence it to you. And this little ditty that I thought about on my way down, I 65. It's stuck in my mind last two days. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. All around the neighborhood, I'm gonna let it shine. All around the neighborhood, I'm gonna let it shine. All around your neighborhood, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, brothers, let it shine, sisters, church family, let it shine. Heavenly Father, we come to you now, thanking you for including us into the kingdom of your beloved son, transferring us from the kingdom of darkness. Thank you that you made us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for your own possession that we may declare the praises of him and called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Oh God, let us seek first your kingdom. Let, it seek it, let, let us seek it first. You are worth it, Lord. And by our pursuit of you, let us show a watching world that what we have in you is so valuable that we were willing to cast aside all the things that we tend to worry about and say that having Jesus as our king, our ruler, and ruling and reigning in our lives is infinitely more glorious than anything we could have ever have in this world. We love you, Lord. We thank you for making us your own. In Jesus' name, amen.